folks, I can't help it. I just start bouncing around in my chair when I hear that music because it means it's time for another edition of the Rec Poker Podcast. Golly gee, what a treat. My name's Jim Reed. I've got the best job in the world. I get to hang out here every Monday night with my poker friends and talk poker. This is the forums edition of the Rec Poker Podcast, which means that we are going to take a forum post uh, from the free rec.poker learning community and talk about it here tonight on the air. I mentioned that uh, everything we do, all well, most of what we do at Rec Poker is free. We're a largely volunteer-based organization. And so uh, our sponsors help us out a lot. Uh, those sponsors are Mark Prashan at Website Amp and the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. We couldn't do it without them. Uh, we couldn't do it without our premium members, uh, folk like Stuart Carriage, uh, who chips in there 15 bucks a month to help us keep the lights on here and uh, keep uh, keep us doing what we're doing. Um, Stuart's here in the uh, panel tonight. We might share some thoughts from him on the hand that we're going to review. And just like every week, of course, I'm joined here by the Wrecking Crew. Uh, we get a different uh, a different mix of Wrecking Crew members every show. If you don't know what's going on, my name's Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home games and at Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. But I'm just one of many members of the Wrecking Crew that make the magic happen here at Rec Poker. If you want to find out more about me and the rest of the Wrecking Crew, you can go to rec.poker slash crew, or you can just listen up because you're going to meet a few of them right here tonight. Well, I am Chris Jones. You can find me 5B5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. I'm Kim Kilroy. I am PetVet underscore 33 on Twitter, and I am Fergie56 in the home game. I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Radman50 just about everywhere. And uh, this forum post is actually from Keith Monkey System Brandt. Uh, Keith is also a member of the Wrecking Crew, and uh, uh, he runs uh, some of our study groups. Uh, he's a predominantly uh, live player. He puts a lot of work in off the felt. That's why one of his study groups is Monkey Systems Off-Table Tools. And uh, this hand is from day 1B of an $1,100 buy-in tournament uh, that Keith, not to spoil anything, but ended up doing pretty well in. Uh, we're going to be the Wrecking Crew has a bi-monthly or a bi-weekly study group where we get together and coach each other. One of the things we're going to be doing in a couple of weeks is taking a look at some of the hands that Keith played from this tournament and see if we can uh, dissect them and extract even more EV than the man himself. Uh, but tonight we're looking at one hand. This is very close to the money, and I'll just kind of set it up here and let the crew get at it. So in this one, uh, we're in the last level of day one B. There are three day ones, and at uh, of the day that we're in, we started with over 800 entries, and we're down to about 120 left. The bubble breaks, uh, as in the, the payment bubble, people start to cash at 14% of entries. That's not always going to be directly tied to the end of day two. Um, we will talk a little bit about sort of the idea of a false bubble and, and what bubbling really means. But suffice it to say that we're getting very, very close to the money bubble bursting here. And so ICM is at play in a way that it wouldn't be if we were just if we were earlier in the tournament further from the bubble bursting or if the bubble had just burst and we had already made that min cash. So um, that's enough about that. We are we've so in, in Keith's words, uh, we just sat down at a new table about an orbit ago. So we don't have a lot of information about any of the other players. But it's a field of players that's going to be playing an $1,100 multi-day tournament. Um, the blinds are at 3,000, 5,000 with a 5,000 ante. Our stack is about average. We're in the big blind and have 175,000 behind. 
after posting the big blind and the big blind ante. Um, so again, that's about 35 big blinds. So we're really sitting pretty, honestly, 35 big blinds uh, coming up to the bubble feels like an enormous stack. And I'm sure we're doing pretty well against the uh, table average, although uh, Keith doesn't actually say that. I'm, I'm just guessing. Um, under the gun is an older gentleman with about 50,000 chips or about 10 big blinds. And they've not played a hand since we sat down. <laughs> I love I love the way Keith writes this up. He says, he's been murmuring to himself, waiting for his spot. And on this hand, he jams. So we get an open jam for 10 big blinds from under the gun. Under the gun one has already called two jams since we sat down. Uh, one of them was with a reasonable hand, but one was a sizable jam he called with A6 suited. He has about 300,000 and covers all but one at the table. Uh, so he has a very healthy stack. He's obviously not afraid to snap somebody off. Uh, and he calls the, uh, the 10 big blind shove that's in front. Everyone else uh, folds. And uh, Keith says that all but two of the remaining players cover you by a small amount. Okay, wow. So this is actually a pretty deep table then uh to get to the bubble here um which does change the math a bit as well to be honest with you if there aren't a bunch of short stacks around then uh you just never know um you don't you you can get into kind of more trouble than you might be otherwise um, are, you, are you sure that's what that says i think it says all, he covers all but one person yes that one and then um where does he say that he's... The next line, all but two of the remaining players cover you by oh, a small amount. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, hmm. so uh, which is surprising to me. That, like, this is yeah. a, a pretty deep structure here. Um, I don't know. I can't say exactly where this one was. I know he... Uh, or a deep uh, table. I mean, it could be... Yeah, it, it could, could be a be, deep this table. This is just an extraordinarily deep table, yeah. That's true. And we did just get seated here. So um, that does kind of happen sometimes. They're not really balancing by chip stacks. They're just breaking tables in order and randomly taking people away. So you do end up with deeper tables. That's that's a great point, Chris. So the action folds around to us. And this, is, this isn't probably going to be that long a conversation, but it, it covers some interesting territory, which is why we're going to talk about it here on the air. So we look down at ace-queen offsuit. And Keith just says, what would you do and why? And uh, Keith is going to run this through uh, Isomizer, and uh, there's going to be some some forum uh, posts and responses here uh, to get into eventually. And I'm sure this is going to be a spot that Keith brings up in his uh, off-table tool study group sometime next month. Um, Rob, why don't you jump in there first? Uh, under the gun shoves 10 big blinds. You get called by a deep stack player in under the gun plus one. You're looking down at ace-queen offsuit. Uh, what do you do and why? Well, a couple of things that I would consider. First of all, yeah, this guy's been murmuring to himself. He's waiting for a spot, but he's under the gun, right? So what does that mean? The next hand, he's going to be the big blind, right? Yep. Plus so the all big of a blind sudden, he's got, he's got 10 big blinds. He's now his next hand. He's going to have to put in two more big blinds. Mm -hmm. So normally I would say, you know, this guy is probably sitting there with aces or kings, right? Because that's what he's sitting there waiting for. But that's not necessarily true here. He could be doing this with just about any pair um, and a lot of other cards that are just pretty looking because he is going to be the big blind next. So that's one thing they have to consider. 
The other thing is the guy with all the chips did not put in an isolation bed. He just called. Mm -hmm. So to me, that means he's not necessarily that strong either. He doesn't want to commit any more chips than those 10 big blinds. So I think there's an opportunity here. I think there's a big opportunity here, and I'd like to hear what others think. I don't want to jump right off on the point of the player flatting in position there because some players, you, you said it, Rob, that kind of caps their range a little bit. They've got a hand they don't want to get more chips in. But for other players, they're calling there with the premiums all the way because they want someone to back raise or they don't mind going multi-way with a big pair. Um, and I, I, I would really want to know more about that player um, and we're not going to be able to because we're, we've only been here for an order, yeah. but that's one thing that I is always that's, raises like, cause it, they've declined fold equity. Anytime someone declines fold equity, I always think, are they an inexperienced player? If so, that kind of leans towards a not very strong hand. Are they a very experienced player? Then they're going to have more of those kind of like sneaky flats in there where they don't need fold equity to win the hand. Sorry, Chris, I cut you off. No, I mean, there's a couple of things that I would love to know that would help me make this decision. Number one, I think there's two kinds of uh, murmuring type uh, short stack <laughs> players, right? There are the ones who are just sick of it. Like, I'm just tired of getting 9-3 offsuit every hand. I am going to shove anything reasonable. Like, I'm just, I'm so, I hate this game. I hate everything. And I'm just sick of it. Like there's that kind of murmuring player, but there's also the kind that is like, I'm sick of it, but I'm still disciplined. And I know I'm under the gun and I'm only shoving here. I'm going to, I am going to blind out before I shove something that's not reasonable. And so like helping yourself sort of distinguish here uh, is a really important, but even more important for me is this second player. Um the second player is the player who I am absolutely the most nervous about. They cover us and they should technically they absolutely should. If they're really good and they're studied, they should be flatting here with their super premiums. Um, and so, because like what's let's, I want more than 10. If I've got aces here, I want more than 10 big blinds. I mean, fine. Like, let's knock this guy out. But I want some other people to to start to let's let's get some real stacks in play here. Um, and so, I think one of the things we want to um, that I would be really curious about. So Keith describes uh, this player is called two jams since you sat down. One of them with is a reasonable hand, uh, but one of them with his a six off a six suited. But what I am most curious about is where at the table did they do this? Mm. Like if they called a six suited from the big blind after a button shove and they called with their reasonable hand against a, like another late position open. And now they're flatting from under the gun one. I am running for the Hills. <laughs> um, but if they were like, if they're just like somebody who's like positionally unaware, they're kind of clueless. They're just calling off with a six suited sometimes uh, and this player might be murmuring frustrated. Now I'm maybe I might be uh, trying to squeeze here. So I think it's really key about these two players before we start to make these decisions. That's my take. 
I have, I, I agree with that as well, but we've only been here for one orbit. This guy might be murmuring because he lost a huge hand and now he's only got 10 big blinds and he's just murmuring about only having 10 big blinds. And now he's getting it in with fives or fours or, you know, nine, 10 suited. Like he's just getting it in because he's been murmuring because he, we don't know. We haven't been there long enough to know. And we also, also with what Chris says, I've seen this a lot in live play where this guy has someone else covers this guy at the table. That person that covers this guy mm -hmm. has not acted yet. So this could be a medium strong hand. It could be ace king offsuit. It could be pocket jacks, pocket tens. He could be willing to fold if this big stack that covers him is going after this pot, but he's going to call anybody else that jams. We don't know that. We've only been there one orbit. We don't have, in my opinion, enough information. If this wasn't right on, I like a fold here, like Chris does, because it's right on the bubble. But if this wasn't right on the bubble, I'm like really tempted to jam here. Rob? I think one, one of the things, you know, we talk about this guy has called two other all-ins. He's mm -hmm. called two other all-ins. Mm -hmm. Has he had the opportunity in those all ends to put in an isolation bet? We don't know that. And that's, that is, I think that's the key component here. Is this a player that just automatically calls everything if he's going to call, or is this a player that understands that an isolation bet may be more in line based on the type of hand he has? So I think I would agree probably with Chris and Kim that in this situation, without all that other information, I'm probably folding here. It also depends what that under the gun player is murmuring. Cause if they're saying, if they're saying like, for instance, well, I guess it's time for me to go home. And then they put their last 10 big blinds in it's aces. They they've got it. You don't have to worry <laughs> about that. Um, that's, that's a pretty standard little speech play. Um, but yeah, I, the, I really want to emphasize, like for me, the importance, the, the important player in this is the second player in the hand. Um, they've got us covered. So they matter a lot more. And uh, uh, it would be nice to know more about them. We don't get to, of course. Let, let's put ourselves in their shoes, though. Uh, we're a thinking player. Someone under the gun, a murmurer, has shoved 10 big blinds. What? So I understand we're going to have a mixed strategy with some of our hands, but what are the kind of hands that we're going to be calling and what are the, some of the hands that we're going to be isolation raising? And can we sort of extrapolate anything from that like do you do you guys have a a default play with aces or with kings or with ace king suited or with 10 jack suited or um because i think we're probably calling with a lot of those medium strength hands like i don't think we benefit a lot because you're going to go to showdown once the other player is all in you don't get to bluff yourself to a win there's no fold equity against that player to come over the top with a medium strength hand so you you're you're doing it specifically to isolate that opponent, which you might do with a hand like Ace Jack, uh, where if if you think that under the gun players just shoving any ace in any pair, Ace Jack's actually a pretty good matchup against that uh, range, and you might just not want to involve invite anyone else into the hand. Um, a hand like Pocket Nines, you probably want to isolate with. Um, so Ace Queen's going to be in relatively good shape against that kind of range but it's just so dead when they've got queens kings aces and and ace king uh what do you guys think about that what's your default in that spot Rob? well yeah the, 
again, the question is, is this the type of player that's going to isolate at all? Right. You know, if are we, if, it sounds like he's just called a couple times and one time with a six suited. So, Hey, I got an ace. It's suited. Let's, let's call this all in. He's got a ton of chips. He's got 60 big blinds. So he's sitting in pretty good shape so he can call and then fold to a race. He doesn't and have not, to, he doesn't have to continue. That's true. And let's not, let's not confuse having a lot of chips with making good poker decisions either. Right. Like Correct. he could have, Correct. he could have had a six and called someone who had a 10 and just spiked a six. And that's why they've got all these chips. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yes. We can't tell based on that. Yeah. Chris. So, yeah. yeah is- so I'm sorry, when you're trying to figure out a range, you need to know if this is the kind of guy that's going to isolate. And if he's not, then his range is pretty wide open. Go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that that A6 hand is a, the one that I would return to when making this decision. So, like, this is why you want to remember things that, like, because, like, I think it's perfectly reasonable, depending on the size of the shove, if this is, like, small blind versus big blind. He's in the big blind with A6 suited, and somebody shoves in front of him. That's a perfectly reasonable call. If he's sitting in the hijack, and the under-the-gun player shoves, and he calls with A6 suited... Now this player is like, like not making good decisions. And so that is, I think, a really key hand to for us deciding how we approach this spot. And um, depending on how that hand went down would ma- help me make a lot of decisions about what I'm doing here. But if you're to, to answer your question about what would what would I do as this the the under the gun one player after this 10 big blind, mm-hmm. I mean, I am flatting with a very polarized and very uh, good range. Uh, <laughs> you want to know my strategy in this part, especially so you don't under mean the gun polarized, one. You mean linear. Very well, good. Linear. I will probably have a little bit of some nonsense in there just to. to For to, flatting? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> what, about you, what about you what about you Kim? i know I, you, you I, and chris don't always play exactly the same way which is a strength on a podcast like this when we get to hear different points of view yeah i i don't i don't i i i would often do what i said which is just flat call with some medium strong hands because somebody on the table has me covered here and there's a lot of people i'm willing to call but not and I will probably isolate with strong the strong most the strongest hands in my range. With my yeah, mate. Oh, go ahead. Like, but no, maybe no, please, not please. ace king. Uh-huh. Yeah, take it, Chris. Oh, just I I would yeah I play these a little differently, and maybe I I but I uh, like my medium strength. Like if I have jacks here or tens, uh, I'm probably min clicking it back uh, to try to isolate. Uh, but also give myself the room that if the one player that has me covered comes over the top, that's probably one I can get away from. But I, then I've got I've if they're really good, then I've got to I've got to figure out. Sometimes I'm going to have to do this with my absolute premiums as well, and then it, it gets so it kind of depends who's at the table too. Um, but I kind of prefer that, uh, and I I I. I I love having aces and flatting here. I just love mm. it. I think it's there's no downside, right? I, I the downside to me is just that it's the bubble. So I'm just not willing to take a 70 30 
on the bubble, I'd rather just take it all now. <laughs> like, what's, I, would, I mean, I don't want to get it in action. versus the other big stack on the bubble. Well, Even high, high equity hands. But I totally yeah. agree with you in other spots to yeah. trap there. Right. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it, with aces, we're we're better than 70-30 pretty much. Right? Mm, I don't think so. Well, let's give it time. Well, it depends yeah. what they have. But yeah. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's a pretty strong. I, I think it, this reinforces how important the ICM factor is. Because mm-hmm. if this was not an ICM spot, we'd be talking a lot less. Well, well for one thing, there's we get this whole other conversation we could have about opening a side pod here from either of these players and how we might want to uh my how we might want to open ourselves up to that um but i think this does icm does play a, a big factor here when you're this close to the bubble um and again you know it's it's a significant portion of our stack but we have a it, yeah we have a lot of uh we have a lot of options available to us when we're not so worried about busting um mm-hmm. that we just don't really get to explore as much when we're when we're this close to the bubble. Mm-hmm. It'll um, be interesting to see what uh what Keith comes up with with what an ICMizer is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky spot. Ace Queen's one of those hands, it's one of those kind of way ahead, way behind hands when it comes to these premium ranges. You're either dominating all the best aces and, and flipping with the pairs, or you're just way behind. <laughs> He's king and the other, uh, the other, the other top pairs in that set. Rob, did you have uh, one? One thing, we are closing the action if we call. That's true. Yeah, we're um, in the big blind. You know, but you're looking at a, a situation where unless you really hit well on the flop, you're gonna you're gonna be in trouble, right? You're out of position against both players. Well, it doesn't matter on the under the gun, but you're out of position against the under the gun plus one. And unless you hit big, you, you're going to be in limbo and you're not going to know what's going on. You're not going to know where you're at. So uh, it is possible that you could just flat here. Uh, but again, you only have 35 big blinds. You're better off probably all in or fold. And if we and, do flat, there's going to be a slightly less than pot size bet left. So we'll have about 25 big blinds in our stack and about 30 in the middle um so it's a uncomfortable stack to pot ratio to play on the bubble um it's actually a really easy stack to pot ratio to this kind of stack pot to the stack to pot ratio you'd love to have with a hand like ace queen offsuit most times because you can just get it in on any two overs plus draws or any pair but um in this in this circumstance it's actually you're not going to you're not going to know if you're good if you hit the uh the queen and it's kind of just a, a scary sneaky spot so what's the what's the consensus here then, gang? Um, I hear some leaning towards just folding and finding a better opportunity to invest our chips. Like that's the way I like to think about this stuff. Is we're here for a tournament. Um, we're here to choose investment opportunities for our chips. And if you you, you can invest here, um, where you think you might have a, a small edge some of the time, and you're going to be behind a bunch. Well, I won't even put that kind of judgment on it, but. Um, this is a pretty high risk spot because of the money bubble coming up, or you could just fold 
all you're giving up is the you know EV of the hand, your opportunity cost of picking up a big pot. You're very likely to make the money, which in an eleven hundred dollar tournament is not nothing. Let's let's not forget that too for recreational players like us. Um, that min cash is a pretty uh, uh, a pretty important event for us. Um, Stu in the chat says probably fold. What are other people thinking? I, I would fold here if the under the gun plus one was not in it, I would call. Yeah. Good, great point. Yeah. Agreed. I, I agreed. Because like, if we just really want to think about this, I mean, if the best case scenario, right, is we don't like, it seems like, oh, there's all this dead money in there, right? Potentially. If this player is as wild as we, this A6 player is as wild as we think. It's all this dead money in there. This is going to be great. I'm going to, squeeze right we actually don't get any of that unless we beat the under the gun player right mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. we're still you know i mean best case scenario they've got ace jack we've got ace queen uh and other player has some nonsense and we make this move right that's that's a dream scenario and great but that's not i don't know the times we get called when we make this move by the, the under the gun one player the times we just lose I, I'm just folding this. I just I, I I like my chip stack. I want to get to the bubble. Let's go. So what's your squeeze range? What's your actual cards you would do squeeze with? And do you have a calling range at all? Or is it just all in or fold? Great question. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah you. Chris, uh, <laughs> right off the bat. Uh I, I mean, would I I don't think I would ever flat this. I just don't, I, I, I'm trying to think of a, I, I, I don't think I would ever flat this, this particular spot. I just don't like it. I, like, what are we doing? Like, um, and we don't have uh, to, we don't have to have a flatting range here. Yeah, like one of the I, great, I I'll right. steal something from the thinking poker podcast. Uh, Nate Mavis used to talk about this all the time was, you know, you, you see the spot that's appeared in front of you at the table and you decide like, should I do I even have a flatting range here? Do I even have a three betting range here? What are the ranges I'd like to have in this spot? Okay, what are the hands I'd like to have in those ranges? Now it's time to look at my two cards and decide what my action is going to be. And there's plenty of spaces where you don't even need to have a flatting range. It's just you're better off shoving or folding. And yeah. in this case, you're shoving aces for sure. Probably kings, maybe ace king suited, maybe queens. I'll let the panel think about their own soft spaces there on that. Um but if you're folding everything else, I mean, invest in a better spot. I, I get that. So what are you doing with jacks and ace-king offsuit? Right. Well, you're struggling. <laughs> you're, you're making a very difficult decision, right? Uh, and then if I say we're shoving with those, then what are we doing with tens and ace-queen suited? Right? I mean, that's the that's the 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 great thing and, and the really annoying thing about poker is, like, you actually, it, it's just not that easy. Right? I think, I think. You know, Kim probably said that the cusp hands are probably ace king off and jacks. Those are probably right on the cusp. Um, you're gonna probably jam aces, kings, queens, and ace king suited. Yep. I think that to me makes makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. What about I you, totally Kim? Agree. What are you doing with uh, ace king off and uh jacks in the spot? Oh. I'm not I don't have a calling range here. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's we talked I, about that. Realized. It's it's either, either either we're all in or we're folding. Well, in calling, just think about the terrible position you're putting yourself into with whatever hand you have. 
uh, you're out of position with an SPR of less than one. And if you've got jacks, you got to worry about all the overcards. And if you've got ace king, unless you hit an ace or a king, you know, yeah, Chris. Right, Again, take oh, go ahead, back Kim. to that ace six hand. Yeah, and exactly. Where it was where yep. it was? Was this at full orbit ago when this right. was the same sort of he was in early position or early middle position, um, or was this a blind button blind yeah. kind kind of scenario? Yeah, and if it was the early where they're they're we're just seeing a wild player now, I'm shoving with jacks. But if they're right. like if it was more reasonable, then I'm folding jacks. And don't get us wrong, listener at home. This would be a nice pot to pick up. So we're not we're not dismissing the value of picking up a big pot here. And when you can do that with a hand like Jack's, um, that's definitely going to benefit you. But again, it's just right on the bubble. And there's just we've got a ton of chips. We've got 35 big blinds. There's no reason for us to decide that we need to risk our tournament life here. Um, what in this weird dynamic that we're facing? I mean, I, I'm I'm I think I'm probably in line with you guys. Thirty five big blinds is heaps to go to day two. Oh, we're probably yeah. going to be average stacked or just above average stacked going to yeah. day two. So yeah. Now, if we okay, so how short? I, I know we're going to go a little long here, but how sh- is it a stack depth question? Then, if we had fewer chips, would be more inclined to shove, or is it again? It's just that they're covering us and we're close to the bubble. It almost really doesn't matter. That's the way I'm leaning on this. It almost really doesn't matter what the chip stack is because what matters more is the dynamic um, and the and the ICM at play here. Or if we covered them, you know, if we covered that second player, I don't know if that changes the the dynamic as well. Any final thoughts on, on those random land of if the episode we were, thoughts? If we were really <laughs> short, if we were really short and it's like, like we're threatened to survive this bubble and this is our chance. Yeah. Uh, then I think we can't throw away a hand that's as strong as ace queen. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise I'm, I'm, it doesn't change my thinking very much. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think the same. Uh, the, your bubble factor is very small when you're at the short stack at the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, you just a hand like ace queen, you can't, you can't go by it, let it go. Uh, one of the things too you think about when you're when you're making mistakes in an ICM situation, the bigger mistake is a call versus uh, the more aggressive action. Yes, you can you can be off by a number of pips when you're going all in or you know making an aggressive action. But when you're calling the you, the the you can't be off even by one pip, and mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference in your equity. So calling mistakes are much. Um, more damaging to you than um, uh, jamming mistakes or aggressive actions. Or even folding actions like uh, 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 overfolding or overshoving are both better errors to make than overcalling. Um, it's Correct. those calls that really uh, cost you a lot of, uh, a lot of EV. Um, yep. Is that something you learned in the rec poker book study, Rob Washington, that you're doing with? Uh, yeah, the, there's this book you? study on rec poker, and it's really been beneficial to learning a lot about ICM <laughs> situations. <laughs> you said it. Yeah, and there's, a, and there's, right and there's some, uh, you've got some stuff out there for people to answer some. Yep. Um, we'll have to poll for the next time. Yeah. Now, I don't know if yeah. this podcast will come out before that poll's over, but yes. No, right. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, go We're pay attention for the next to, one. <laughs> uh, go check out the Rec Poker Twitter handle. You can have a vote in uh, what the next book study book will be. We're doing a Sweet 16 bracket style that will get down to uh, uh, through a series of polls to find out what the next book will be. And my hat's off to Rob Washam for running that whole program. It's, uh, it's a fantastic series of book studies that we put together for our premium members to enjoy. All right. Well, uh, any final thoughts here, gang? I think we really talked about a lot of the relevant factors here. Um, it just goes to show how important that ICM pressure is and how drastically it can change the ranges that we choose to play uh, when, when you get close to the bubble there. So um, thanks to Kim and Stu and Chris and Rob. Uh, of course, thanks to uh, Mark Prashan over at Website Amp. Uh, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino, and mostly you, the listeners. Uh, we couldn't do it without you, so thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch up again next week. Have a good night, everybody. Patented air guitar. Oh, yeah. We're letting it roll. We're letting it roll tonight. <laughs> You gotta have some fun here, folks. Thanks, everybody.